We are back with another episode of the Black Fox Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And we got another interview, this time with Brendan Kumarasamy. He has a YouTube channel, Master Talk. But, I mean, before he started all that, he was doing, I guess, case competitions or business case competitions during college. And through that, he learned that he had a certain skill. And then he started coaching uh, the other students that were in this program. And then he eventually segued into becoming a coach, business coach, mindset coach, et cetera, for top business exec or top tech execs. Yeah. And, you know, he, he uses the YouTube channel to create free content for people that can't afford his coaching, which I think is really cool. But, you know, he's a great communicator. I mean, it serves, serves true because that's what he does. But it was a great conversation. I really appreciate everything he had to say. He kept it really cool, uh, but also provided a lot of value at the same time. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Yeah, very fun one coming up. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's hop into it. Hey guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey, y'all. We're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the Black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box, it's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be. Exactly. Um, yeah, but you know, we like to focus on investing in the show, so you know, we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class, you know, jewelry is considered an investment. And with the, you know, stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now, and most for the most part going down, um, jewelry, especially precious metals, you know, gold and silver, those tend to preserve their value really well. So, you know, that's also another reason why we think it's a, a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past, I got a gift for my mother, actually, for Mother's Day. It was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy, but, you know, Sean was quick. He was easy. He was responsive. The price was fair. And, you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the gift. So, yeah, if this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at all socials. And uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us but you could find stock goods there and sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times yeah uh sean does great custom pieces i've seen a bunch of them on his social media but um yeah he's also good for sourcing you know like watches specific rolexes anything like that they're looking for he can also get you a better price and you know if you're going to you know bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price so Along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one-year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And um, let's get back to the show. Hey, Brendan. Thanks so much for, uh, I guess, for taking time out of your day to hop on the Black Box podcast. Could uh, could we just get get started by having you introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure, Ahmed. And, and thanks for taking the time, too, guys. Good to be here. So yeah, my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk is a YouTube channel I started 
to help the world master the art of communication, public speaking. And I got a coaching business for entrepreneurs and execs too in the tech industry primarily. And how I got started was when I was in college, I went to business school and I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like hackathons, but for business people, it's like professional sports for nerds. Like a case so analysis? <laughs> yeah, you got, a, you got a case analysis. You said professional, so, professional sports for nerds? Yeah, you got it. No, no one, no one knows what a case competition is because it's a really small community of people. So, so that's why I explain it that way. So, all the guys my my age were playing like basketball or something. Not really my thing. I did presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. Seems like it but, paid off now, but sorry. It did. No, no, no. You're all good. Interrupt me, by the way, if, I, if I'm too long winded. So, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I got older, and I started coaching a lot of these students on how to speak. I wasn't charging them anything. It was just for fun. Yeah, and it just led to master talk. I, I just realized that everything I was sharing with them wasn't available for free for other students. So I just started making videos in my mom's basement, and here we are. That's awesome. Nice. Um, I feel like that's something that I could have benefited off greatly because, you know, I picked it up when I started working a full-time job and just had to present and be, like, effective in that for my job and with the podcast. But in college, high school, growing up in general, horrible presenter, horrible speaker. I would get, like, caught up in my words a lot. and Like, I'd be thinking about it too quick in my head to say it, and then it would just be a embarrassing mess. Same, by the way. I guess, how did you, uh, like, when did you start picking up the skills or figuring out the tricks that you use? Absolutely, Joe. I mean, let's start with why I was terrible my whole life. So so you two might know this, but but for the podcast, I, I live in a city called Montreal in Canada. And Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French to do well in it. But I didn't know the language, guys. So my whole life, I, I pretty much had to study in French. So I was presenting in a language I didn't know. So I struggled a lot because of that. And the other piece, I got a crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was two. So I also had a big cast, so nobody wanted to talk to me. And you would think that the communication expert studying in communication. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. So so there you go. I only found it very later in life that I actually had a gift for this. Okay. So I guess when you when you were introducing like your YouTube channel and um, everything that you've been working on recently. How long ago was that? Like how long ago did you launch all of these um, different uh, endeavors? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. So, so I'm 26 currently. I started coaching people when I was 19 and I started Master Talk when I was 22. So I started the channel Jan, Jan 2019. And yeah, so it's been like three and a half years for YouTube. And I've been taking it seriously as a business probably for two years. Got you. I guess, so, uh, oh, keep going, I'm in. I'll follow up. Uh, all right. um, I was just going to say, like, so you said you are, like, you went to college and you did work a nine to five job at some point. Um, Correct. So you were doing this while you were also doing Master Talk, I am assuming. Uh, at what point did you feel comfortable enough where you no longer needed that nine to five job anymore? For sure, for sure, man. It's a great question. So, so let's let's go through it. So, I started my career at Price Waterhouse Coopers. I was an accountant there, and if you had told me that I was going to quit that job to work at it as a technology consultant and then quit that six figure job too to be an entrepreneur, I would have called you the stupidest person on earth. Like that was not the goal. You know, every every immigrant's way out is not entrepreneurship; it's education. 
So my parents were, were factory workers, right? They had spent their whole lives sacrificing everything so that I would get a good education. So, so my goal was never to be a YouTuber or a business owner. All of that really happened by accident, guys. Because I always think there's like two types of entrepreneurs. You got like the born one, like the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world who are like yeah. selling lemonade in their basement at like eight years old or something. Hitting the garage sales. Yeah, yeah. The garage. <laughs> yeah, to- <laughs> I'm a big fan of him, by the way. That's why I like talking about him. No, I like a lot of the but, stuff he says too. He's yeah, just a character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is for sure. Not everyone likes him, but and then you have the 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 board, the made entrepreneur, the person who doesn't really think they're a business owner, and then something happens in their life, and they realize they can actually they actually have the chops to do it. I was definitely category two. So to your point, Ahmed, Master was a joke. Like I thought it was a stupid idea. I was make. I, I literally still live in my mom's basement, by the way. It's just obviously I do much better than I used to. But I was like making videos in my mom's basement with my phone. I had no money. I was still a broke student. I hadn't started working at IBM, so I wasn't cutting it. Nobody's writing me checks. Yeah. So I was just I was just doing this for fun because I felt that people in my my faculty could benefit from it. And then nine months into Master Talk. I just got really lucky. I met my business partner at a personal development conference, think something like a Tony Robbins event. And I met him in Columbus, Ohio at an event called Summit of Greatness. And he's the one who who really pushed me to turn into a business and said, hey, you could charge like IT people like thousands of dollars for coaching. I said, really? And that's what happened. Okay. Awesome. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, so I guess – the point that you decided to make the transition, met your business partner and everything, were you already like generating income from the YouTube channel enough to like live on given that you were in your mom's basement? But okay. So it was enough for you to ration. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny you too. I'm, I'm explaining it in such a chilled out way, dude. It was a fucking grind. Okay. Like it was. Oh no. Cause like, you had to take a huge risk. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to oh, yeah, yeah, maybe touch on that a little bit more because I want the audience to understand that it wasn't just like, all right, I'm just going to quit this thing. And <laughs> do a YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah. I sound like I'm on drugs. Yeah. This is super easy. I just woke up and yeah. Yeah. So, so it wasn't at all. So just to give context for listening who aren't familiar with consulting. So when you work as a consultant, like an IBM or a McKinsey or something, you're working like 65, 70 hours a week. That's why you get paid six figures plus to work there. Yeah. So so I'm grinding at IBM and I'm doing 30 hours a master. I'm pretty much working 90, 100 hours a week. Like when I used to do podcasts like two and a half years ago and I started doing these things and I even know I could even guest on them. Like why would people even have other shows back then? I didn't even know. So I literally told all of them, hey, I can only do it on the weekend. They're like, why? I was like, oh, because I got like meetings. I got like meetings during the week. <laughs> so so yeah, there, there's a couple of things I did before quitting, guys. So my my advice always to people who are looking to start a side hustle or to take it seriously is very different than what most people say. So for me, it's side hustle comfortably. I'm a big fan of getting a really nice paying job while you work on your side hustle. And the reason is because you don't you shouldn't eat canned beans your whole life. You know, I don't like that image of society. Yeah. So for me it was I was making really good money. But when you are making money, you gotta live under your means. So there's three things I did. One is I had a nine month emergency saving before I, I left my corporate job. So there's no risk. The second thing is I had to replace thirty to thirty-five percent of my income because I was working a lot of the Indian guys in IT at different companies. Right, that you probably would know, right? And and it's those people who helped me exit corporate. And I got a lot of those intros. And the third thing that I did is I had a really clear plan and strategy on the second I was going to get corporate, how I was going to replace the other 50%, the other 70% of my income. 
as soon as I quit my job. So those are a couple of things that I did. But the other piece that's worth mentioning as well, I was investing ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year in production costs long before I had the money for my YouTube channel. Like I think after tax in Montreal, I was probably taking home like forty k because the tax taxation rates are insane. Like in California. And I took 25% of that income instead of moving out of my mom's basement. I said, let me just hire my best friend to do my production. So that's how seriously I took Mass Talk from day one. At day nine, nine month, I mean, not day one. Okay, okay. Uh, and that's a good point you made at the end. So something that I always like to touch on in most episodes that we have entrepreneurs on is, you know, you didn't just get up and leave. You had a concrete plan. You know, whether that plan went to a T or not, you had a plan in place that you were going to follow. And in theory, it should take you to your goal. Yeah, luckily my theory paid off for me. Yeah, but yes, theory is a big one. Like in my, especially in my case, like I hate people who go like you got to jump and like burn all the bridges. I think it's really stupid advice, especially in my context. Cuz and I think I'm more I, I can bring a more balanced perspective cuz I didn't grow up with money. Obviously, you know, I got lucky. I was born in a first world country and I count my blessings there for sure. But I mean, I was the only breadwinner in the family. I was the first person ever to graduate university in like my lineage of ancestors. <laughs> you know, Congratulations. so thank you. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm sure both of you graduated from university too. But, <laughs> but I think the, the point it's still I was, something to be proud of a little bit. Of, of course, of course, I'll, I'll take a little bit of it. I appreciate it, man. But but the reason I bring that up is like my mom isn't working. You know, she's a stay at home mom. My my dad passed away in 20, 2019. My mom was I, and and it's it's Indian culture. You got to put your 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 people through. Educate. So I was paying for my, yeah. my, my sister's education. Like she didn't have to worry about that stuff. She just had to focus on her studies. It's just something we do in our culture. So yeah, quitting my job was a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, especially well, when, when you're, when you're doing. Another layer on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't take any risk. I, I mean, I did, but let's just say I, I dotted my lines when I left IBM. I didn't just go screw all you guys. I mean, I really enjoyed working there. And I say that on the record. I didn't hate my nine to five. But but I made sure to build those relationships in case everything fucked up in nine months. At least I could come back. But obviously, I didn't need to do that. But I, I had dotted my lines there just in case. Good. All right. I mean, I guess it's it's a good to have a, some kind of safety net at least. Um, but um, – Oh, I mean, let me just add something quick. It popped into my head. Just before uh, we got on this, me and Ahmed were FaceTiming. And I was trying to explain to him like how I go about my things with the side hustles. Because I, I like to do trading. I like the podcast. I got a couple other things that I'm just working on on the side. The The main thing for me right now at the same time is I'm still trying to develop my nine to five skills. So, you know, as I'm building these things, you know, theoretically, it might take five, 10 years for these things to get to where I want them to be. Hopefully sooner, but it could take that long. So why wouldn't I also keep developing my skills for my nine to five, leverage that active income as much as possible, and then use that? So yeah, that, that's just kind of one of the things that I try to follow. And it's not jump the nine to five. What you were saying, live off canned beans. <laughs> <laughs> I I think everyone's got their own decision, John. I think I think what you did was really smart, but I also feel that. We, we need to balance that. So what do I mean? I think the biggest lesson I learned in my 20s is I always believed money was the most valuable asset. Always, always, always. Because my parents would have trouble paying groceries. They would always struggle. Then I started making money. I was like, oh, groceries are only like 200 bucks. Like, it's actually not that much money. So, so I, I learned that money was not as hard. But the real asset that all of us are wasting in our 20s is our time. Because we are billionaires. We just aren't billionaires of money. 
billionaires we're billionaires of time. of time. Exactly. So, so for me, what ended up happening, cause all of us got a different th- threshold. Obviously my heart goes out to you live in New York. So it's a different, it's a different game, yeah. but in Montreal, you don't need a lot of money to, 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 to live not off beans. Like for me, the number wasn't half a million dollars to quit my day job or replace a hundred percent of IBM, which I think was like one or one ten. They offered me in the next jump or something. Yeah. It was 50 or 40. Like if I was making 40 or 50 and I lived under my knees and I stayed with my mom and we lived together, I'll be okay. But I would buy back my most valuable asset, which is all of my time back. And that's priceless. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, you have to weigh the pros and cons because if you work a job and you're making a lot of money, but you also are working 10 hours a day, you're not going to have any time to continue to progress on your side hustle until the weekend comes around. But, you know, if you could leverage a, a job with a decent salary and, you know, you maybe only work five to six hours a day and you have a bunch of extra time to work on your side hustles, I think that's also beneficial. But there's, there's multiple variables that come into play with that stuff. I think the principle of the game, and then let's have Ahmed jump in, is <laughs> let's have him yeah. jump in too. Yeah. But I think I think the big piece is it's all about increasing your odds, guys. Like like one thing I, I feel is not talked about enough by influencers is is a concept that I just call income combining. Especially in my culture, this is very relevant. Where like a lot of us never leave our house. Like even now, with I make much better than I used to in corporate. But I think the point I want to drive with that because it's not about the money. Me and my sister and my mom are going to live together until our thirties, until we're married. That's just the decision we all made together because we all just enjoy each other's company. There's no problem. But because we only pay one rent, even if let's let's say all three of us made fifty grand on average. Let's just assume average yeah, income. Yeah. You have a household income of 150. You have so much income to leverage. So you can just live extravagantly. Whereas I think a lot of us as young people, we want independence too quickly and we lose a lot of our leverage because of that. That's exactly. Yeah, no, I could, I could definitely attest to, uh, yeah, move, moving out to, to San Francisco. I live in a studio by myself. Like I, it, it wasn't my first choice to move out here, but, I had to for for a new job, right? But I could attest to the fact that if I was living with other people, the burden, the financial burden of rent would debt would decrease significantly, right? Because when you like living by yourself, you're paying like a hundred percent of a hundred percent of my overpriced as hell rent, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You know, yeah, having having some some extra some extra dollars would be nice, but um, <laughs> I guess just to avoid getting too off topic, um, can you can you walk us through like what your learning process was like to to start up like to start up the channel to learn about marketing to learn about branding like all all of that kind of stuff was there. Was there some kind of like centralized resource that you used to help yourself learn or was this kind of like learning as you go type of thing? For sure, man. Excellent question. Here, here's the way I would think about it, Ahmed. Let me start with the principle first that I think will help people and then let's get into the tactics for YouTube specifically and how I learned that. I would say a big question that a lot of people who are young don't really think about enough is the following. If you could only accomplish three things in your life, what would you want those three things to be and why? And the reason a lot of young people or people in general struggle with this question is because they want to pick more than three things. 
And because of that, the time to actually be successful in any one of those projects just takes significantly longer. Literally, my life was work, master talk, and family. That's it. I did nothing else with my life. And I still don't do anything else with my life. Now it's just work, business development, which is a separate category. Work, business development, and family. Like, that's it, right? I call it my three C's, coaching conversations and content creation. But I think the the point that I want to drive is you got to focus on a small different areas of things that you want to build. Because you can't be a successful YouTuber and and a marathoner and this and this. Maybe you could do YouTube and marathon, but you can't do like seven other things because it's just going to be really hard, especially when you don't have a lot of capital or leverage or people uh, other people's time to leverage. So let's start there. What does that mean? That means... I my only focus for the first year and a half of YouTube was just YouTube. I only cared about being successful on YouTube. I didn't even know what a business was, frankly. Even if I went to business school, they don't really teach you how to build businesses. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, right. I didn't even know how to like. I didn't even know you could charge money for coaching. Like my first client, I think I charged him like a hundred bucks a, an hour because I just didn't know. They just he just said I need to work with you, and I was like, okay, like hundred bucks. Like I, <laughs> I I don't know what the hell I was doing. So my focus is really YouTube. So I just studied YouTube like a hawk, not like Mr. Beast. That guy's like a whole other level of crazy. But I think the point is maybe like 1% of that guy, which is like already significant. Cool enough, yeah. Yeah. So I was investing in different courses like Graham Stephan, Sunny Lerdoozy's like their YouTube courses. I was studying this thing like a hawk. And I would watch other successful YouTubers to learn. But really just to draw the tr- timeline, I think as a creator, what's important to do is you want to write out your strengths and your weaknesses and also your win conditions. This is something people don't do, especially number three. Win conditions means what what situation can I put myself in that will guarantee success in any endeavor that I take on? So here was my win conditions with YouTube. I realized that if I posted once a week for 10 years, I would win on YouTube for sure. Because I looked at everyone in, in my space, in my niche specifically, right? Alex Lyon, other YouTubers in my niche. And obviously, they're my friends now. But when I started the YouTube channel, like they were people that I would compete against. So I was like, oh, yeah. these guys don't know what they're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. So basically, for the first year, I wrote it off on YouTube. I just practiced on camera. So you'll notice in my old videos, it's literally just me on a couch. And that's my mo- my mom's basement, like right there, actually. And I'm just like speaking but then nine months into master talk i realized a few things one i was really good on camera two i was really good at storing information and succinctly communicating it effectively but c right three i was shit at editing hated editing i hated the production side of of master talk it was burdensome so i just outsourced all of it i took all the money that i had and i just hired my friend to do it all for me and that's when the youtube channel popped so like once you're able to dedicate more of your time and effort on the things that you knew that you were good at and maybe delegated things that you knew that you weren't good at. Correct. But well, once again, the reason I moved really quickly was because I just focused on YouTube. Like I got my first thousand subscribers in only four months. But the reason I got to a thousand so quickly, guys, and it's important to to get the lesson because people look at the countdown, they go like, "Oh, Brennan is just like a great content creator." Yeah, no, the game's distribution. I DM seventeen hundred people. That's how I got to a thousand subscribers. I got all of the people I'd coached for years for free who had landed all the incredible jobs you talked about prior to this conversation: IBM, McKinsey, Google, whatever. And they, I didn't, they didn't owe me anything. So I didn't pay, charge them anything. So I said, okay, guys, you're going to do something for me now. You're going to promote the shit out of my YouTube channel. And they did. So there you go. 
Okay, I was I was just gonna ask, like, what what was the pop? When you mean pop, it, what like events happened at a certain point? Like, when did you realize that things were like starting to take off differently than they were before? Yeah, for sure, for sure, John. So so a couple of things happened. I would say the first one is the second I went pro. I went from like shitty mom's, I mean, my mom's basement is great. I live in it, but I mean, like production quality wise, I went from there to professional. I mean, it, it night and day. That's one thing that happened is the quality was a lot better. So when people saw, saw my YouTube videos now, they had a whole, it was a different level of respect as it was before. So they took me a lot seri- more seriously, which means clients actually wanted to work with me. Executives actually wanted to pay me at that point. Yeah. So that was a big piece. The second piece is I got really lucky with one of the videos that just popped my three daily public speaking exercises. It still ranks on search that had nothing to do with me. I just used what Graham Stefan said in a course and it just worked for one of the videos. So shout out to him, you know, it worked well. Search optimization. Yeah. But it, it didn't work for 99% of the videos that one just, just the one, but, and I just needed the one and, and it drove like, even to this day, I think it drives like 70% of my YouTube sub count. So whatever you take luck where you find it. And, and the other piece is Clubhouse. Clubhouse was the big thing. So Clubhouse was, for those who are listening to this, you might not know because it's already dead. It, it was a social it was like audio 2017, app. 2018, right? Where you could get like, or, or was it after that? But I remember there was an app where you could like FaceTime multiple people before you could FaceTime multiple people. Right. So, so you, so that's actually not what Clubhouse is. That's how, like how short of a fuse it was. Oh, like people shoot. think it's like, so it's okay, it was, dude. It's okay. Wrong it, was more, it was more recent. <laughs> Correct. So, so essentially what Clubhouse was, guys, is it was like for – it lasted like six months. It's still live today, but it's, it's nowhere near the traction it had. Basically, it's a social audio app. So you would enter these audio rooms, and you could like talk to other people. And it was like December 2020. The pandemic was still at its height. We still hadn't had a vaccine, so people were still locked in their house. They couldn't even go outside pretty much because they were scared. So when Clubhouse started, that was my winning ticket. Because after like two years, I still only had like four or 5,000 subscribers after all the grind. But Clubhouse is what popped me. Where I got on the app and I just bled on it. I spent like every hour I was not working at IBM. I was on that app until like 2 a.m. And I was just speaking. Because obviously I'm a speaker. I love that, right? yeah. So I was just grinding with my best friend, Billy. who used to be a senior executive at Tesla. And me and him were just like, he like disowned his wife for three months. And we just like spent all the time on the app and then the app died but i had enough leverage where it got me to ten thousand subscribers you're and able to bring the... people over to the to your youtube correct right when it was about to die i hit ten thousand subscribers on youtube and then after that after you hit 10k on youtube the algorithm is a lot more friendlier so so that worked out after how's the uh the subscriber count now i actually didn't check uh, we hit 25 last month so now Congrats. it's growing a thousand a month Congrats. thank you yeah it was a grind awesome. guys but now you know the whole story <laughs> So well, no, that's what we wanted to know. You were saying the algorithm kind of optimizes or works in your favor once you get over a certain sub count? Yeah. So after you, you get over 10,000, provided you've been creating consistent content, I'm not saying your channel is just going to blow up or anything. Like my channel, it's been three and a half years. It's not like I have a 10 million subscribers or anything. Yeah. But but what happens is all of the videos start to stack. It's like every video on YouTube is like an asset. That's why I always say for anyone working on YouTube and taking it seriously – you got to play for 10 years, not 10 months. So when you get to year three or four and you have one video that's kind of getting you two subscribers a month because it like optimizes for this very niche thing yeah. on YouTube, but you got like a hundred of those videos or 50 of those videos, then it starts to add up, right? 
Mm-hmm. And and for me, it just so happens that one of those videos is just really popular. Like I rank on public speaking training, which is like nuts. So if you type public speaking that's training, true. I'm the third video that appears like what the F. And, I, and that's not something I could control, right? So yeah, that's what happens essentially after 10K. I'm going to check it out right now. Public speaking what? Training. Train- oh, it, 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 I like he's fact checking me. <laughs> no, I just want to see. I see you right there. <laughs> thank, phew, thank God I'm still up there. Or else it would be, you guys it wasn't there, be like, liar. You fucking scam. <laughs> <laughs> this is bullshit. No. Uh, Ahmed, did you have something? Yeah. yeah no, I mean, like, it, I guess maybe um, steering away from just like the, like building the YouTube channel, building your presence and your audience. Um in terms of like the actual coaching aspect of it, what did you what did you do or like how did you learn like the coaching aspect of of what you do? Because I know even though coaching does rely heavily on communication, not every good communicator will make a good coach, right? So what what was that what was that difference or what helped you become a coach? I'm at your own fire. Yeah, you're good, man. I was like, are you thank technical you, at, you. At, at, at Google? Are you a technical guy there? Uh, not really. I work for, okay. it's kind of like, a, like I'm not in sales, but I'm in a, a uh, like a partner facing role. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm still ramping up. I've, I haven't been there. I've been there for a little less than two months, but I will be learning more technical skills but i do i do have a technical background so i think my team will rely on me more heavily for any technical things once i actually understand what it is that i'm doing no it's funny because i think technical at google then i think of the questions you're asking and i'm like my brain is just not computing but yeah i love it (laughs) man this is great so so you're right. So so this is actually an easier conversation to have because by the time I started Mastock, I was already a great coach. So why is that? Is it because I'm special or unique? No, no, no. It's because I just made a lot of mistakes, but I made all of them early in my life. So like, like I was mentioning earlier, I started coaching when I was 19, but I didn't really see it as coaching. So what happened was I started winning these case competitions. And then the year after that, I became a coach for all of the students who are getting started on the program. I kind of just self-selected myself because I was really competitive. I wanted us to win these competitions and nobody's coaching them on communication. So I just said, I guess it's me. So I just started helping them. And I was shit at coaching. I had no idea what I was doing, right? Because I had a bachelor's degree in accounting. I knew how to speak, but I didn't know how to coach it, which to your point, yeah. Ahmed, I mean, you nailed it on the head. Completely different skill set. So I just tried a bunch of stuff, like a mad scientist, and all of it was terrible. It's kind of like when you got a tech startup and you're trying to find product market fit. That was me for like up until like a year ago, right? So basically, I was just helping the students and something wasn't working. I would, I would try these crazy, stupid stories that I called like the garlic bread story to like explain ums and ahs. It was like, it was a whole messy process. But by the time I was 22, I was really good at coaching. And the reason is because... I had developed a lot of expertise as a venture capitalist, long story, but basically what happened was I was a student investor for a technology fund, kind of like dorm room fund in the US for those who don't know dorm room funds. Like they get a bunch of students to invest checks into startups because a lot of startups like Snapchat and Facebook get started in universities. So I started working with a lot of tech CEOs or my buddies in the early 20s. And that's how I developed a lot of the coaching expertise because I would listen to them 
and say like, how can I do this better? But I think the uh, the overarching principle, Ahmed, to not not make this all because it also gets confusing for people. But I think the biggest thing is you just got to be willing to bruise your own ego. You just got to be willing to to have an open mind and take the criticism so that you can actually get better. So for example, why do I still do conversations like this? Because I know there's something I can learn from both of you that I haven't yet thought of in my game. And that's why I always love doing interviews. But I had that mindset from day one. Like when I started my Master Talk YouTube channel, I didn't come up with any of the ideas. Uh, maybe a few of them. But my friends came up with all the ideas. My friend came up with the logo. And I think that perspective really helps as a coach. Awesome. So like you're, I guess you're like humbled by the fact that like even though you may be teaching someone something, you are also open and willing and happy to learn from them or from anyone else. Absolutely. And the other point that I actually didn't mention is it's actually super important to do it, especially at my age, because, and I always say this on the record, my CEO, by the way, my CEOs know that I work, I live in my mom's basement. That's why I always say it on the record. They don't mind because I get them the result, but it's worth emphasizing guys that my average client is 45 years old. Like they're not my age. So you need to show up with the maturity of someone who's 80 years old when you're coaching them. So obviously now I'm, I'm obviously a lot more like casual because you guys are my age. So it's more like, okay, I'm swearing and stuff. I don't swear with my yeah, clients. Of course. Right. So I'm a lot more, oh, okay. Like, okay, what's your priority? I ask them more questions. I'm listening as if I'm more mature than them. Because if I don't show up that way, they don't trust me with their, their money. Right. They'll hire somebody else who can't, who in my opinion, can't get them the result. But, but that's a story for another day. I guess it also has to do with like, <laughs> you know just feeling out the person that you're working with right because if if they are more casual not saying that you'll, you're going to act like you're acting with 20 year olds but you could be a little more laid back or if it's someone who's like really to the point and you know productivity oriented you'll get right to the chase kind of thing of course being a coach you're, you're kind of just helping them and trying to get in their head and figure out what they need to improve right yeah and, and to be honest guys like even if they're 20 30 years older than me it's, it's still the same conversation. I think the difference is really in the languaging. So for them, it's really like very, a lot more aggressive. So I'm very like Navy SEALs with them. So let's say a tech CEO goes, uh, I don't want to practice this week. Like I'm yelling at that guy. And it's like, you need to get your shit together. Like you got to raise your next round. You got So I'm speaking their language and they go, okay, shit. Like this guy doesn't mess around. But obviously I wouldn't do that on a podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very, I'm very toned down on a podcast, but yeah, trust me. I'm very, I, I used to call myself the Michael Jordan that nobody gave a shit about in university. I was very intense. <laughs> Michael Jordan's like, yeah. It's just, nobody cares. Nobody holds me accountable to the insanity I had. Cause nobody gives a shit about presentations, like case competitions. <laughs> like, were you doing that? Were you following that same style when you were coaching the case competitions? I was wild back then. I'm a lot more toned down now. I'm still intense with my clients and stuff, but yo, back then I was a mess, man. Like I was sleeping four hours a day. Like I remember, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Like I was coaching like 30 people at the same time. Actually, maybe it wasn't 30. Uh, Not at the same time. I was probably coaching like seven to 10 people at the same time, but 30 people in total, let's say in a given year. And Mm -hmm. it was nuts. Like I remember we were like, uh, cause it was like New Year's Eve and it was like 3 a.m. in the morning and we were all working together doing a pitch. And the guy looks at me. I, I haven't said this on a podcast. I'm just saying this because it's funny. And the guy looked at me and he said, Happy New Year. And I literally said, shut the fuck up and get back to work. We had a competition in three days. 
the hell are you telling me? Like, I was, yeah, I know, I changed really quick, right? Yeah, I was really, t- I mean, guys, come on. I was like, how, why am I getting yelled at? <laughs> it's like, guys, think about it. How how in the world can, like, let's have a real conversation about this. How in yeah. the world can I get to this level of expertise at such a young age? You have to be crazy. You have to be different. Yeah, you have to be different. Yeah. You can't be normal. Like, think, obviously, I'm not saying I'm as smart as Zucks is. But think about that kid. Like, how the hell do you get there? Unless you're like a crazy psychopath to some degree. In order, also, in order to get people to like trust you and give you their money. Yeah, like you got to be on a whole other level. You can just pull up and be like, "Hey, let's just <laughs> let's do some coaching." Yeah, it's right. like here's the game plan. <laughs> you know how many, ex- how many executives laughed me out of the room when I was starting? I had to turn it on. I was like, "No, it's like," and then they go, "Oh, okay, this guy's worth what he's charging." Now I get it, and that's the key. I guess uh, what um, like how do I want to word this? Like when you're when you were early on navigating, like trying to get gain this respect from people and establish yourself. What were like the main things that you had to realize along the way in order to figure that out? Like, did you have to get rejected a few times, and or tr- did you try a few different things when you walked into different rooms and saw what sticked, or? Oh yeah, for sure. Lots of failure for sure. So so let's start with the principle. I would say, you know, successful people, and I'm not even saying I'm successful. I still have a long ways to go like all of us. But I think what I would say is the relationship that successful people have with failure is very different than the relationship that unsuccessful people have with failure. What do I mean by that? Let's take sales as an example. I love this. Let's say you got like I'm, I'm glad you do. Glad you I know saying. I know what you're gonna say. That's what right. I'm so so let's say there's like a sales sales right. Ten people reach out to ten people. Let's say one of them closes. Let's say it's three thousand dollars. Just throw that number there, just as a placeholder. So unsuccessful people go like, oh my god, like oh my god, I had to like talk to ten people and I could only close one. I'm not cut out for this. I should probably give up and like buy a donkey and like ride off into a farm or something. Whereas like successful people go, Oh, like I only had to talk to 10 people to get one close. Okay, great. Let me just talk to a thousand. I'll make 300 grand like this month or something. So, so the relationship with failure is very different. And going into that for me, I, I had, I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I shut the bed so many times, definitely at the beginning, I would say one in particular that was funny is I sent 50,000 emails and I'm not even exaggerating that number, like 50,000 emails, 500 emails a day for like a hundred days to university professors across Canada and the U S because my thought at the time was if they learned about master talk, I would get unlimited distribution for the rest of their careers because they would just share my YouTube channel every semester to their new batch of students. So that sounds really smart on paper. And boy, was it such a stupid idea because I would send all these videos and all I, w- all I would get is replies of like, you're too young. Why the hell? Who the hell are you? They're super rude to me. I got so much hate email, but the mistake wasn't them. The mistake was on me because I should have stopped after 500 emails, but I was stubborn as shit and I wasted a shit ton of time sending those emails when I should have sent that email to you. <laughs> you should have tried uh, our school, Stony Brook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure I'm... Our, I don't honestly. Think Stony Brook professors are too. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really think they prioritize like personal development and all of that. They're, they're they they had their minds on other things. Oh but, yeah, Stony Brook was like, you know, there were so many times where the one professor in particular for computer architecture, if you would like mess up on the test and you also weren't showing up to class when you'd walk in, he'd be like, "Yeah, you're gonna fail this." 
like in front of the entire class or he'd call, he'd call out your grade in front of everyone and be like, yo, you should just drop the class now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a savage. <laughs> Wait, was yeah, that, sorry. was that, uh, uh, Gaiant, uh, Parekh or whoever no. it was. <laughs> like, are you calling him out on the podcast? <laughs> We're name dropping. No, no, it, it's not him. It's not him. Honestly, I'm pretty sure fine. I mispronounced it anyway. <laughs> I think it's uh, Jayant. Gotcha. Yeah, but he, he was cool, in my opinion, that guy. I'm not going to mention the guy I don't like, though. <laughs> he also did Ziad Dirty, who's Ahmed's cousin, uh, and also went to school with us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, all right. So I guess to bring us back on track... Um, I, I know, Brendan, you mentioned a little bit about your clients and how, like, their average age is about 45. But yeah. um, how how have, like, your – how has your client pool changed, like, over the years? Like, as you've gotten more experience, do you think you have older and maybe more established people trusting you with their money and their time? Yeah, man. By the way, Ahmed, I just got to congratulate you. Asked me a ton of questions nobody's ever asked me, so it's really you're really on fire today. So, Thank you. I, of course, man. Here, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. I would say the pool is relatively the same, but the ease of but the customer acquisition is a lot easier than it used to be. And this is where credit is due because my my business partner is 20 years older than me. That's actually one of the secrets behind my success. A lot of people don't really know is my business partner, Vomsi, is my business coach, and he's 20 years older than me, and he's the one who gives me a lot of my executive clients. So that's actually how my business started. So nine months into Master Talk, when I was in Columbus, Ohio, for Lewis House's event, Lewis is like a podcaster. He has a podcast called The School of Greatness. I'm a big fan of what he does. So I went to his conference to meet him, essentially, just to thank him for everything he's done for me. And I met my business partner at that event. So he's the guy who said, let me introduce you to all my executives, which are all tech executives. He's like, let me, and he just believed in me early. And he's done really well for himself because of that. But I think the point that I want to drive is when he introduced me to those clients, a lot of my initial clients, Ahmed, were really technology executives. Think like solution architects, really heavy tech people who are mostly Indian, by the way. Because those are the people who trusted me the most. So I really niched down to just that niche. But then what happens, that's what's great about the coaching business, what I love. A, it's high margin. So because you just get to keep most of the money. You don't have a lot of expenses in the business. But the other piece, absolutely. The other piece that's really important. There's obviously a lot of cons that we can talk about too. But I'd say these are the biggest pros. Is that word of mouth spreads like wildfire if you're damn good. If you're shit, great too. Because that means you don't get a business in coaching. You just lose. Right, there's some people who get away with you know scamming people, but I'd say in general, if if you're really good at coaching, like you'll never have to find a client for your life uh, if you play long enough. So what happened was after I started getting them results, they just started introducing me to all their other brand friends, and that's how the business scaled. And then over time, as the social media following took off, Ahmed. I got clients from other little pockets. And I would say the three, because I, I love the curiosity, so I might as well tell you guys. I, th- I think you guys will find this interesting. So I have like three main demos. Because obviously it's a different question between who needs communication, who's willing to pay for. So who needs it is everyone, right? That's why I share free YouTube videos for everybody so people can learn. I think the next Elon Musk seven-year-old kid who needs a communication coach and can't afford one. That's, that's my ethos for my life. That's why I create all this free shit. So 
there's that piece, but then there's a piece of who's actually going to pay me money to have access to me so I can expedite the results. And I found there's three categories. One is the brown technology executive. That's the first one. The second is women executives of any ethnicity because women are really open to investing in themselves, I found. And they want that confidence. They want somebody to like push them to feel like they're worth more. Sorry, to get the value that they deserve. Because what women do usually in the workplace is that they always settle for less than they're actually worth. So they just need somebody to push them to say like, you're worth way more than that dude you're competing against. And they just crush everyone. They make their money working with me. And the third piece is the PhD scientist CEO. So somebody who has a PhD, anything, AI, uh, molecular biology, and they start a company, they don't know how to present. So they hire me and then they make their, their money back really quick. So those are the three categories I've niched down to. Uh, my follow-up to that would be, so I guess it depends on the client that you're working with, but what do you determine are the results? Like, do you track prior to them getting the results? Like this would be us completing our goals and completing the things we set out to do, or is it like they're coming to you and saying, you know, it's working now. Like people are understanding me when I talk or. Absolutely. John. It's the right question to ask. Here's what I would say. It's really hard to measure ROI in communication because all of us want to be great communicators for different reasons. Ahmed might want to be a better communicator to, to do really well at his new job. That might be his, he might have multiple reasons though. Like, okay, I want to do better at this podcast. I, want, I mean, you're already a great host, but I don't know how you could level up more than that, but let's Thank say you. like, I don't know, smile more. I don't know, whatever. Right. And then, <laughs> and, and then for John, it might be, you know, like speak better with my family. It doesn't matter. So, so these things are hard to quantify. So for those three specific demos, I could definitely answer the question, but in general, it's tough. That's why I always love asking the question, how would your life change? You got it. That's why I like asking, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Because it helps us dream about our communication and the answer is different for all of us. So that's, that's the point. But in terms of the demos, PhD scientists, super simple. I write their pitch. It's worth way more than the thousands they pay me. It's like easily because if, yeah. if they're pitching and they're raising a half a million dollars for their scientific project, like they'll hundred X their money. So that's one. They don't even need to do my program. If I just write their pitch, yeah. it's worth more and everything else is just a bonus for the executive. It's really their next promotion. So sitting down with them, holding their hand, telling them they can do it. Cause I know they can. Right. Like I, I coach a senior. I, okay. I don't want to do, say too much, but let's say senior executive at like a, a Google. Let's just use Google. It's not Google. It's a different tech company. She's like the most senior executive there, like in, in design. And I'm, and she's like, Oh, I'm really scared to speak. And I said, you do realize you have leverage, right? You're the most senior executive at the company. You could just interview at five other companies and get three job offers tomorrow and you run the show. And she goes, Oh, Right. So they just need that little boost. So for them, it's the me yelling at them. So they do the job interview, they get it like a 50% spike in their salary. And then they, they, they tell all their girlfriends about me. That's the second piece. Right. And then the th- they know I talk like this, by yeah. the way, this is not like a secret. I don't hide anything. They you know shouldn't. this and they love it. That's the point of being an entrepreneur too. So right. you can your truth and you don't have to like hide it in the office. You don't have to act a certain type of way. There you go. And then they go out there and they dominate the boardroom. So, so that's what, that's what my, my, my peeps do. And then the third type, the, the brown technology executive is the same thing. For them, it's mostly around accent and pronunciation. For them, it's worth all the money in the bank. For them, or somewhat so, you get the analogy. Yep. If they just remove their filler words and all that stuff, because they struggle with communication their whole life. So if they spend, just get that for them, that's worth way more than what they spend. So for everyone, it's different. Gotcha. Great answer. Thank you.
course. All right. Um, I guess before before we wrap up, I wanted I don't think we've ever done this really, but um, because because you because you're a coach, like can we like create a hypothetical situation? Say for instance, I sure. came to you and I said, you know, I feel like I have good ideas, but I have trouble communicating it uh, communicating them. Sometimes I feel like my like the managers around me really like dominate the the meeting room, right? They take up all of the time speaking their thoughts, their opinions, and I don't get time to put a word in. This isn't my situation, but again, let, let's let's just like play along with it. Um, what like what would what would happen next? Like, would you tell me? All right, can we meet for? X amount of minutes on whatever day or like, what is your process? And like, how do you, how do you like motivate your clients to do better? Love it. So it's, it's funny because a lot of people ask me about communication tips specifically, and you, you guys are asking me more about the business side of communication, which, which I think is fascinating by the way. So, so here's what I would say. The answer is different based on which stage of the business they're in, in the cycle. So let's start with the beginning. I'll literally walk you through all of it. So on the strategy call, I wouldn't say anything. I would just ask them more questions and that you don't have to answer obviously because it's hypothetical, but I'll tell you the question. So I'll say something like, okay, Ahmed, thanks for sharing that just to make sure I got it. So I repeat what they say. Okay. You mentioned that you're struggling right now to share your voice in the boardroom. Did I get that correctly? And I dig more. What are other challenges that you have? And then you'll list all of them until I have like five of them. So I have all of it on the board, kind of like a, my coach teach my business partner is also my coach. It's kind of like you're diagnosing it like a doctor. Because doctors don't just sell you something because or else you'll die if they misdiagnose you, right? And that's what increases your value. So the more questions you ask, the more you keep your mouth shut, like I didn't do on this podcast because obviously I'm the guest. So I got to ramble, got to talk. The, the higher the value of your service, how people take you seriously. So then I'll ask you more questions and then I have the challenges. And then I'll say, what are your career goals? Like, what do you want to be in the future? Who, who do you see, where do you see yourself the next 35 years? So let's say the typical engineer might say something like, the one that I usually work with will say, I want to be a vice president of engineering someday. I want to be a CTO someday. Because usually if that's not their goal, I, I just say, like, I don't know why you should work with me. I, I literally tell them on the call. Because it's like, well, if you, if you want to stay technical and you just want to be a senior engineer, do that. You don't need communication. But if you, you really want to be – Exactly. But if you really want to be a leader in your company, you need to realize that, and which gets into the solutioning later, that look, you can, you're not coding anymore. Like you, you're managing other coders. But anyways, so I ask them about their goals and then I make a decision. This is important in coaching, especially the good ones anyways, is they make a decision as to whether or not they want to work with them. So it's not the other way around. We're not trying to set people who are mature coaches, which hopefully I've gotten over the years. Though I didn't show much of my maturity today. But the point is, is like, we, we need to make a decision for the client. Our goal is to lead them. So if we feel that they're not ready for the service, you don't charge them three grand for a service. They're not ready for it. They're not going to take it yeah. seriously. So then let's say all that's done, ready, ambitious, Brendan, I want to I get to the next level. Then they get into the program. So in the program, I won't spend too much time talking about it, but I'll talk about the interesting bits that I think are valuable in a podcast. So the, the main one is the psychology of how to get them the result. I think that's the thing that you, you guys will find the most fascinating. And the biggest one, to keep it really simple, because I know we got like five minutes here, is jealousy. Jealousy is the most important emotion that you need to deliver a result on. What, why is that? So if you have other engineers, let's say on a call, the best way I've found in my experience to get them a result is to get everyone else on the call a result. 
So one of my philosophies when I teach people, because my pros are very different than, let's say, some schmo like B2B thing, is it's really like whoever works the hardest gets to the front of the line. So whoever gets the homework done first, I actually celebrate them. So I go like Sandeep or like Julia did the homework for she's the best. She gets all these bonus one-on-one calls and I don't charge her for it. So then what happens is Julia gets really good really fast. So the next week when she gets on that call, because I forced her to do like the random word exercise where you pick a random word like phone or iguana or rainbow and you do random presentations. She gets really good really fast. And then in week one, everyone else goes, hey, wasn't she like terrible last week? And then they get jealous and then they get the result too. So yeah, that's what it is basically. Nice. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> and once again, everyone in the program knows this. This is not like... <laughs> so so then, you're working like, with how multiple do... people at the same time? Like Correct. In, like in 10, to 12, 10 to 12 people, yeah. Gotcha, okay. That I interview individually to make sure they're a fit. And then, gotcha. so do you run them in like sessions or is it like if some person accomplishes their goal, they'll drop off out of the program and you'll bring someone else on? Right, so, so it's like start and stop. So it's like there's a waiting list. That's why I call my calls not sales calls, commitment calls. So again, a call and I just go, is this person good enough? Can I tolerate them for 90 days? That's what I ask myself. And then basically I add them to a list. And then after two, it's usually every 45 days, I have enough people to start a group. Okay. And then I take all of them, they join a group, and then they have to do the whole 12-week experience, correct? Gotcha. Thanks. Awesome. So I guess um, like – Going back to the hypothetical situation, um, do you think that like, so are these communication exercises or like the, the 12 weeks like that, that your clients go through at what point do you think it's like more of like you're unlocking something within them or do you think you're teaching them a skill? Like what, what is it? I think it's a mix of both. And I love that you're digging me on this, but it's definitely the first piece, Ahmed, opening something inside of them. The biggest thing that we, we're getting a result on has nothing to do with communication. It has everything to do about how they look at themselves in the mirror. That's the biggest thing. And I call this the mindset mirror. So basically, the goal is to shatter that barrier. Sorry, the mindset barrier, not the mindset mirror. And the goal is to shatter that barrier. I'll give you an example. The random word exercise. A bunch of engineers I've coached in my career don't think they can do an exercise. It's basically you take cup and you go, a cup is, and you just create a presentation. And they don't think they can even do it once. So when they do it like 30 times in a week, I literally just ask them a simple question. What else is possible through communication skills? That's it. And I just repeat that question over and over and over again. And eventually, as they do these little nuggets, because it builds momentum, that's the biggest thing. They eventually answer anything is possible. And then the whole mindset barrier breaks and then I go into really my advanced stuff and I start my Navy SEALs training and I really push them through. So like meetings, I got all framework. I'm happy to talk about the pod. But the idea is once that mindset barrier is broken, they've gotten the result. Because at that point, they'll just implement anything I tell them to. They'll send video messages to their colleagues. They'll do everything and they'll get the result. But that's the most important thing we got to shatter. Okay. All right, I, I I know I know I know I've I've been saying like before we wrap up and all that, but yeah, I got to drop in two minutes, by the way. <laughs> got you. So you said video messages, mm. just like really quickly, right there. Please, you, is that is that something that you recommend or that you encourage people to do? 
Absolutely, because I know I didn't really show that many communication tips because you guys asked me on the business side. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I feel like I'm almost pitching my services. Weird, but anyways, <laughs> which I don't want to do. It's not the intention at all. So, so yes. So I call this my easy threes. Communication is like juggling eighteen balls at the same time, guys. Kind of like coding. If you're trying to program fifteen different languages, like you're not going to get better at it. You got to take it one at a time. So I call these my easy threes. The random word exercise is one of them. The second one is the question drill where basically you pick a random question, uh, not a random question, sorry, you answer a question every day for five minutes a day until you have an answer for everything. That's how I actually built up my expertise really quickly because I had my most critical friends ask me 500 questions about communication. Once again, not exaggerating the number. That's why I actually do podcasts to practice the question drill because people just ask me new questions and I just get better constantly. And the third one's video messages. People are scared shitless to send video messages. And it, it means a lot to people. It I really feel like does. Our generation doesn't. It doesn't matter as much for us because we were used to the Snapchat and. You'd you know, be surprised, man. I sent I sent a lot of my friends video messages, and it always makes their day. Always, always, always. No, exactly. I'm saying I think because you work oh. with older clients, they they weren't used to having a phone in their oh. hand all the time. Like where you are. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that might. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I all get right. the engineers to do that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I know. All right, we want to respect your time, so I guess let's. I could do a part two, you. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd would, be happy to have you. For I was going to say yeah, we could, it's like we're kind of cutting this short. Yeah, but. we just we just got to book a, a longer uh, thing, block of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so I guess do you want to plug anything? Uh, your your YouTube channel, your website, like you want to plug anything right now? Yeah, for sure, guys. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. This is honestly a very refreshing conversation because most of the time when I do podcasts, I always find myself saying the same thing over and over again. And you guys really worked my brain today, so I appreciate it. Perfect. So yeah, yeah so two ways to, to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word and you'll have access to my free videos. And the second one is I do a free workshop on Zoom every three weeks on communication. It's a fun training and I facilitate it. And if you want to register for that, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess, John, you want to send this out? Uh, yeah, I could send this out this time. Uh, but also, Brandon, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so you guys know where to reach us, Black Box Podcast, No A in the Black on Instagram and Twitter. That's pretty much it. We will see you next week. Peace. Peace.